Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Live from Shelley's back room, it is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. Joining me around the table, Congressman Al Swift, Bob Hines, Carl Tuvin, Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, and Rear Admiral Ken Carradine. It's Tuesday, which means it's time for Backroom Politics. Let's join the roundtable live at Shelley's Backroom. 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. at Shelley's back room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. And also joining us around the table today is, as always, our regular contributor. He is the New York Times best-selling author and contributor to Roll Call. He is Jonathan Allen. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. And sitting over to my 1130, she is the former Obama appointee under the uh, Department of Transportation. She is Denise Kreff. Hello, Denise. Hey, Justin. And we've got a lot to talk about, obviously. So, let's get to it. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, Donald Trump is running for president. And Donald Trump is running a campaign that is uh, slightly misguided, slightly confused. But uh, if you ask anybody in the Trump camp, they'll tell you they are straight on target. So here's the question for you. Can Donald Trump turn this campaign around? Uh, Bob Hines, I'm going to start with you on this one. First of all, let's get to the base. Let's look at the clubs that he had this week. Uh, number one, he gave a foreign policy speech earlier this week that pretty much didn't detail a lot of specifics on how he's going to deal with foreign policy. Oh, and you... I know, shocking. But he read it off a teleprompter, which gets points for that. I mean, is this literally a candidacy without any specifics on what their policies are actually going to be? Mr. Trump wants to be president. He has no chance of being president, I hope. I don't believe he does. And what, the way he act, operates is, is, is destructive of his own campaign. But Admiral Ken, you heard the foreign policy. Yes, I did. As somebody who served, you, you are a retired one-star admiral in your United States Navy. I was this morning when I got up. And, and exactly. Did Trump do anything to help uh, 
offset the naysayers of this guy doesn't know foreign policy? Uh, well, it depends on how you look at it. So if you believe that um, that he secretly is a Democrat, as I do, and he is okay with what we're doing right now, then, yeah, because all he did was parrot what we're pretty much have been doing right now, uh, working with, with, with Jordan and um, with Egypt, working with NATO, um, uh, wanting to crush ISIS, wanting to shut, uh, shut down their, uh, their use of the, um, of the Internet. These are all stuff that, 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 that they're doing right now. If you, on the other hand, believe that he doesn't have a clue, then all he did was copy President Obama's uh, notebook on how to do this, with the exception of coming up with extreme betting. Extreme <laughs> betting. John, John Allen. Did I say extreme? You did say extreme. Betting. It is extreme betting. John Allen. Extreme betting. You're giving me a puzzled look. Where to start? I mean, let's just start with the, the, the lies. Okay. So Donald Trump says that he was against the Iraq war before it started, which is not true. Donald Trump said that he, uh, and then going from lie, and this is a nice segue, a nice transition, going from lie into incoherence, Donald uh-huh. Trump blames uh, Obama and, and Clinton, Clinton for uh, the rise of ISIS. The creation of ISIS. The creation, well, he says they're the founders, but let's just get beyond that. In the speech yesterday, right? he basically is saying, the argument that he's making is they're responsible for the rise of ISIS because they, uh, they withdrew from Iraq. There are two problems with that. That just within his speech, there are two problems with that. Number one, George W. Bush signed the Status of Forces Agreement, uh, starting the end of the U.S. or the the beginning of the the beginning of the withdrawal. The beginning of the withdrawal. So that's the number one problem. The other problem with it is Donald Trump called for the withdrawal of U.S. forces from Iraq in 2006. So ISIS would have grown. Just earlier. By the way, that's just on one part of what he said yesterday. Yeah, we haven't gone into the other things, which we'll get into, but Admiral Ken. And oh, by the way, so let, let's let's look at this. If we had not, if we had stayed without a status of forces agreement, U.S. forces, U.S. personnel would have been subject to Iraqi law. There is not an American in this country that would have stood for that because one, they didn't like us in the first place. Two. Uh, a traffic ticket could get you thrown in jail for years under under the law just because you're not from there. So uh, John's absolutely right in but, that. But I'm I, I just want to touch on one thing because a lot of people that I've talked to have said that had we stayed and put a permanent base in Iraq, a la what we did after World War II in Germany, in Japan, a la what we did in Korea after the Korean War, that that economic boost would have prevented a lot of the problems that have been occurring since the withdrawal. That's true, but the huge but is, in all of those cases, there is still a status of forces agreement between the countries where we currently have uh, bases uh, bases uh, located. Right. There's still a status of forces agreement. That's the foundation. And that's the foundation of it. If you don't have that, then you can't put a base there. Right, and, 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 and thus... Can it be argued that by withdrawing as abruptly as we did under the Obama administration, that helped create almost a power vacuum in Iraq? Well, that's a, that you, you could argue that, but you know, I think the bigger issue is the fact that we fired and turned out the army. These officers that are now leading ISIS and the ones uh, that led Al Qaeda 
are former, for the most part, former Iraqi uh, soldiers, professional soldiers. And that's why they've done as well as they've done on the battlefield. These are not these are not guys that just picked up a rifle and started shooting one day. They've got some serious leadership. But going back to the original point, though, I mean, for Donald Trump to make the claim, number one, that Obama and Clinton created ISIS shows that he is disconnected from anything revolving around reality. world events, let alone reality. Donald, John Trump, Donald Trump doesn't know what he's talking about. It's like it's like somebody who has not spent any time reading anything going out there and kind of pontificating about what he believes today or this minute before changing his mind and going to the next thing that he believes with great conviction and no information. So one of the one of the one of the issues, one of the issues that, that he has harped on a couple of times is this no nation building, no nation building. Well, what are some of the roots of terrorism? It is it is it is the perception and it is a, a hardened fact that you're living in a place with no real future for you. And it makes it easy for people who are looking to, uh, to get you to do bad things to basically say, hey, look at those guys, those Americans. Those Americans did that, and they did that to us. That's why you should go after them. If absent absent uh, jobs and a real economy, it makes it really easy for people to, to get that message going. Bob Hines. Yeah, and the only way you can get stability in so many places in the world is find employment. And that is difficult because there are so many places that don't have any industry, don't have any business, don't have anything to develop, and they're just sitting around, and, and it's a mess. There's this false equivalency that nation-building equals putting U.S. troops in harm's way on the ground. That is not the case. What that means is that you have to take a whole nation approach to solving a problem, not just military, not just diplomatic, uh, uh, economic, uh, uh, um, diplomatic. And, and but on that point, though, but on that point, though, Admiral, Donald Trump is getting a lot of kudos from those that believe in an isolationist policy that we've overextended our welcome being the world's police. Well, you know, I would say that I put that in the same category as is a lot of things that Trump, uh, Trump tries to use as a lot of people are saying. Who are these people? You and I know a lot of people, Justin. How many people do you know are saying this kind of stuff? Nobody. Right. Nobody. But, that's, but that's, that is the Trump backdrop. For support for his base. You know, you know the, the, the dirty little secret is if you're going to be a superpower, which what is which we are, then you have to act like one because the other ones, the Russians and the Chinese, if we're not there, they are. Congressman Al? Absolutely. <clears throat> well, what I was going to say when I signaled you uh, was far back <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the conversation and not relevant now. Okay, very good. Uh, go ahead, Carl Tubin. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait for the debate when uh, when uh, Hillary and Trump are asked questions and Hillary gives a coherent answer and Trump answers, which will not be coherent. <laughs> John Allen, along with the fact that the foreign policy speech by large accounts in the biased media against him, we'll get into that also, uh, Donald Trump has made some strategic decisions that have got a lot of people questioning leadership in the campaign. For example, why would Donald Trump spend a lot of time in a place like Fairfield, Connecticut, to hold a big rally when you're down in swing states like Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Virginia? I assume there was a fundraiser attached to that. I mean, I mean, I don't know what else you go to Fairfield, Connecticut for but money. 
But but again, by political yeah, standards, he's made horrible decisions. He's he's down eight to ten points in the polls and has no infrastructure in the state, which means that the polling for that eight to ten points in the national polling is probably a lot larger when you look at the electoral map. This is somebody who is going to go down to uh, not a historic defeat in terms of Ronald Reagan eighty four. Uh, Walter Mondale standard. You think that this could be better than Walter Mondale? No, no, not in those terms. But in terms of the last, the, the modern era of politics, basically since 1984, we're looking at, a, I would argue right now, if you were to have the election today, you're looking at somewhere between 350 and 400 electoral votes for Hillary Clinton. Wow, huge. Carl Tuvin. The other thing is, is that many of the pundits have said over the weekend that, uh, that he is admitting defeat. Now, I didn't say it. The pundit said it. But you know, the thing is, is that over the last two, over the last months since the the convention and before, he hasn't done what he has to do to win the presidency, and that is set up states and and, and get people in the states and have them working. And he doesn't have that yet. Denise Kraft. No, what he has done is acted like a five-year-old and said, geez, if I lose, it's because somebody else is cheating. I, I, I mean, under normal rules, I think for the past 200-plus years, if you lost, you lost because you yourself failed. I think this is the first time we've ever had a presidential candidate come out three months before the election say, I'm going to lose, which essentially is what he's saying by that, and I'm going to lose because somebody else did something to me, which is not true. Go ahead, Congressman Al. I just uh, want to throw this in. <clears throat> The Republicans in general uh, are very, very wary of fraud. They, they scream fraud all the time. And he's screaming it louder than the Republicans ever have. I don't think any of these people that have sat down and tried to figure out what you'd have to do to steal an election. Yeah. I mean, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible. In the, in the olden days of a boss tweed and what have you, totally different structure. But today, to steal a national election would be impossible. It would be. I would think it would be impossible. But that, I think but, it is. But John Allen, doesn't that call into question the fact of, I mean, he's throwing a yellow flag before the game. And is, does this not just throw red meat at his already rabid base by saying, if, if I lose... It's because the system's rigged and there's no legitimacy to the electoral process in the United States. That's going to cause some people to really get, dare I say, even violent. Yes, Donald Trump would rather have violence than victory. I mean, really? I, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, here's, here's a guy who spends all of his time whipping up people into a frenzy over things that aren't true and then telling them that when they're disappointed that they find out that these things are true, they've got a choice. They can either accept that they're true in a silent fashion, uh, you know, or they can uh, go with Trump and believe that the system has been rigged against them and that elections are being stolen. He said he's going to lose Pennsylvania because of a stolen election for months before the election. Republicans haven't won Pennsylvania since 1988. Right. And Donald Trump is faring worse than any Republican nominee since Bob Dole in 96. Right. I mean, at least. At least. Oh, but, Bob, but, Bob, to that point, though, there's now a lot of pressure on the Republican National Committee to even divert all funds, basically cut off money to Donald Trump to focus on saving the possible down-ballot disaster that could be. Could be. They, 
in the group of the down ballot that's going to be safest is the party, if you, you know, because Trump's gone. But go ahead, Carl Tubin. Uh, the other the other thing that's happened over the last two weeks is he has he has lost if, if the polls are right, he has lost some of his base, white men that have that are, are walking away from him at this point, uh, as well as women and other other people. Well, the, but, the, but the big the big story that broke today was that the RNC has had some discussions with Donald Trump that. He needs to start focusing on black people and black voters. Um, Admiral Ken, as our resident uh, person, uh, resident, <laughs> you said it, I did not. Admiral, Admiral Ken. But Admiral Ken, I mean, I mean, you're talking about a candidate that literally has a zero polling rating in a key state like Ohio among African-American voters. How does the RNC actually expect him to turn that around when he hasn't been able to do it for a year and a half. Well, when, when we talked about this before the show, I, I made the, the, the comment jokingly, but I absolutely mean it, that people in hell probably want ice water, too. And, and so, you know, I, I, I can tell you, you know, I, I think it'd be a real hard push. I, I made a comment, I think, on last week's show that my fear is that, you know, that the time that we spent in my voting lifetime of trying to make Make the uh, make more accept the belief that the Republican Party truly is a big tent party that we want everybody in um, is 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 tough and I think Donald Trump has has made that made that journey that much tougher. I don't see it happening. I just don't. What is it? Zero percent polling rate. Zero. He, he, he pulls zero so, percent so with African Americans. They talk to that every every African American person they talk to in, in Ohio said hell no, we won't go. Right. Congressman now. Go back for just a moment to stealing the election and all that. Sure, go ahead. I think there is a very good chance that, one, he will lose. I don't think there's any problem, nothing problematic about that. And that he will claim fraud and so on, and there will be not, that will not be received by his supporters calmly. We are going through a period where we have riots in towns over a whole variety of things, uh, and I can see where that could become kind of a national uh, things could pop up nationally, uh, not not necessarily everywhere, but enough that it would tarnish the uh, election considerably. But it, John Allen, he's also he's also adding fuel to the fire when he calls for his base and his supporters to actively go out to polling stations to quote unquote make sure there are no voter irregularities. Is is, is that just flaming the fire? Of, yeah. How would the uh, yes. how, how would the average person know what, how how to find? But that? How, how does how does Donald Trump? I guess the question is how does Donald Trump back that up? How does he get those people in place? Well, what, do, what do they do when they get there? Yeah. They're not going to be able to get there, probably. Under normal circumstances, I mean, like, you know, eight years ago, I did voter protection. And I went to Ohio, and I went to Cuyahoga uh, County. And um, what it was was a day of sitting outside and making sure that people they wanted to vote could vote. Um, they were. They, I got sent by the DNC to go to Ohio because they were concerned at that time about Hispanic voters. 
and whether or not they would be turned away. And those of us who spoke Spanish, which I do, were asked to come in and say, all right, if they need translation services, if they need help, come in and, and do this. But that is an organized process that takes months. If Donald Trump starts sending in his um, his army, his army, it could be very, very disruptive and, and disruptive to the point where it could create lawsuits the day of, and that's where the, the disruption will happen. Dan, Dan Lipner, talking about Donald Trump putting his army in place to monitor any possible voting election fraud, does, does Donald Trump have any historical base for making this call out, just having just a militia of citizens going out to polling stations to make sure there's no fraud? Not only does he have no historical basis for that, uh, to Denise's point, there actually is a pretty good historical basis when you have the militia types showing up, they do more to dis- disenfranchise lawful voters than they do to ensure the, the sanctity of the vote. Christy Todd Whitman a few years back, well, no evidence that her own campaign did it. Up in New Jersey, there, there were gentlemen dressed in white shirts, armed, who all deputized themselves to do voter protection and mysteriously showing up at African-American precincts saying they were just here to ensure the vote. Um, yeah, that was a little problematic, and I have a sneaking suspicion Donald Trump's post will resemble that more than anything else. Go ahead, Admiral Kennan. Back one moment, one more comment with regard to the the, the lack of uh, African American enthusiasm for Donald Trump. So last week um, uh, there was a Trump rally in Florida, and at one point during the rally, um, some of the Trump supporters were flying a rebel flag. So now there were there. Were, uh, there were personnel inside the the, uh, the hall that basically went and asked those folks to take it down twice. What would have gone a lot further is that Donald Trump had asked them to take it down. As long as you've got this kind of disparity, uh, disparity in his activities and the activities of his supporters, you're going to find it very difficult for people in the African American community to want to do anything or have anything to do with Donald Trump except voting yes. Okay. He's still researching the Klan, whether or not they're a problematic group. Okay. But, 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 but again, and on top of this, there's now other problems that Trump is having to answer to, i.e. the, uh, i.e. the question, yeah, live show, guys. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the phone thing. Thank you. The, John Allen, he still has to atone for questions about Paul Manafort's relationship with the pro-Russian government in the Ukraine. That could be a problem. He's got, an, he's got one advisor who came out and said today that Hillary Clinton should be shot for treason, not assassinated. He's now going to have to answer to that one today. Is, is there any adult supervision going on in the Trump campaign that you can see? No. <laughs> I mean, look, Paul Manaf- look, I don't know what the deal is with Paul Manafort, but he's at least as conflicted as anybody in the Clinton world is. Um, and, you know, I think that he's not running Donald Trump. Corey Lewandowski wasn't running Donald Trump. The Trump children aren't running Donald Trump. Donald Trump is running Donald Trump. And if I were his advisor, I would tell him to do the exact opposite of what I wanted him to do. Much like when my four-year-old has decided to be oppositional, I use reverse psychology on him. Is, 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 Bob, is there, is there actually a campaign strategy here? is start telling Donald Trump not to do something so he'll do just the opposite? I, I think it's the best thing to do. Donald, go do what you want. <clears throat> okay. Because Fair. within a couple of days, he'll blow himself up. <laughs> but, but, here's, but here's the question, though, Bob. At what point 
does the RNC leadership turn around and say, enough is enough, we've got to protect the House and the Senate, and you're doing us no favors? They missed their time to do that. Congressman Al says you missed it. Bob, you agree? I'm not sure it's missed, but it's awful close. The fact of the matter is, if I were the Republican you know, party leadership, uh, I would be saying, you know, Trump, you go, you can, you know, do anything you want to do. We're going to protect our senators and our congressmen if we can. But, Dan Lipner? But the problem with that is, while the establishment in the Republican Party leadership might want to do that, Trump is still helping them raise money. So it's one of those things, as the late great Molly Ivins used, used to say, you got to dance with them that brung you. And as but who is he raising money for? No, he, he raised for his own campaign. He's not doing any help to the RNC as a whole. He has helped the RNC. How? I mean, as far as as far as bringing the top of the ticket to fundraisers, I mean, I'm trying to remember the story, but yeah, they're they they are raising money off the top of the ticket. So it's it's kind of challenging to throw him overboard when he's also headlining your own fundraiser. Go ahead, Denise Krep. It's a tough question, but it's. I I throw him overboard. Right. If I was in charge of the RNC, I'd be you know throwing him overboard in concrete with some chains and muscles, <laughs> and hoping that he sank to the bottom of the sea. And, and, the, and the reason I we do not condone. Yeah. By the way, here. But all that does is play into his party. But Justin, the reason I'm saying this is that he has effectively lost three generations now of Republicans. You've lost the older generation, you've got the middle generation, and you've got the up-and-coming Republicans who are looking at the situation going, what the heck is going on? And I'm not going to be supporting this party. Oh, no, there are, I, can tell you right, I can tell you right now, there are some rabid young Republicans that are pro-Trump. But that's the future of the party. No, no, no it's not. I'm, it's I'm not. arguing that there, you've lost three generations. I mean, you have folks that are not going to come back. And so the question is, after this election, are you going to have a Republican Party, or are you going to have a splinter group? And I think what we're heading right now is into a splinter group. But this splinter group makes the Tea Party look like Unity Unification Central. John Allen? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, look, the Republican Party, I think presidential elections are largely one woman party by the party that is more unified. And right now, there's one party that, that has no idea where it wants to be. I mean, it's not, it's not really one party right now. But this, this, and, and by the way, it has, it has this like sort of this cascade effect. So if you've got all these Republicans who are your sort of regular establishment Republicans, not just in Washington, but around the country, you got a presidential candidate they don't like, they're not going to do the organizing that they need to do, which then has a, uh, an effect on the down ballot races in states. And then it has an effect on their ability to contact voters in future elections. Right now, the Democrats are rebuilding an infrastructure that Barack Obama built and, be, and building beyond it in some ways. This is a multiple election problem for Republicans who have done so well in midterms. They are setting themselves up to fail to make gains in the midterm in the next election. But, but here's the question for you is, how can the Republican Party, I mean, you've got to be hearing on the Hill, Pat Toomey's already literally won't be seen in the same half of the but he won't say which which he won't say whether he supports Trump or not because he has this problem that everyone else does, which is that the plurality of Republican voters uh, voted for Donald Trump in the primary. So there are a lot of people who'll be angry at but, him if he, if he says he's not. But, but here's my here's my concern yeah, with this, Bob. You've been around Republican politics for a long time. When when John says when John says that there's a plurality, 
of Republican voters that supported Donald Trump, you're talking about 10 million Republican voters, which is arguably only a third of the total registered Republicans in the United States. How is it that this third has been able to splinter off the party this dramatically? Well, just because they're they have they're enamored of Trump, and so they're with Trump. Well, you know, and, and that's that's understandable about some people. You know, you get you get excited about somebody, you think he's a great or she's a great candidate, you want to stick with them, and you just waste your vote. You know, the, the, the time to take over a party is during the primaries. A lot of those Republicans, however many you said, really weren't paying attention in the primary. Uh, and, and I've seen it happen with my party, the Democratic Party, during the McGovern years and subsequently. And I've seen it happen with the Republicans before. But the, the fact is, I'm seeing hands waving around all the movements. <clears throat> and that makes me forget what I was saying. Hold that thought. Get it back. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into the discussion and pivot over to Hillary Clinton's issues. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the Nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. You know, Shelley's Backroom has been hosting Backroom Politics for seven years. Seven years. It's still unbelievable we've been doing it that long. But make no mistake about it, Shelley's Backroom is one of a kind in Washington, D.C. Shelley's is a comfortable retreat for cigar aficionados and those who simply want to unwind. The casual but elegant space features soft lighting, cozy couches, and overstuffed chairs. Shelly's Backroom is a cigar-friendly establishment, but the state-of-the-art air purification system keeps the atmosphere comfortable for smokers and non-smokers alike. Sit back and enjoy yourself while chatting with friends or watching one of the eight high-definition TVs, or come by any Tuesday, enjoy your favorite cigar or one of the signature cocktails, and watch how Backroom Politics is made. Convenient to public transportation and the sites of the nation's capital, Shelley's is easily dividable to accommodate intimate gatherings or large-scale special events. Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As Bob says, it's the place to be.
one more time. One more once. And we're back live here at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., as we continue to discuss the upcoming elections for President of the United States. Uh, we were going to talk a little bit about Donald Trump. By the way, Congressman Al, did you remember what you were going to say before the break? Yeah, it was just, it was just a comment that, that you can't rely on, on the primary voters of a party as indicating much about what the general election, what the, those party members are going to do in the general election, because uh, different people play those games. Dan Lipner? Well, I can't. What I was going to say is to crack the joke that it used to be the silent majority that would dictate things in the Republican Party. Now it's the obnoxiously loud minority that is dictating things. <laughs> well, that, 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 that's true. We'll, we'll give it that, though. But uh, Bob Hines, is, is now the time where the Republican Party just really does cut bait at this point? Well, I don't... Or are they going to do more damage than good by doing it? I think you do more... But, you know, because it's too late to put anybody else up, and you you have to just play along the game, but forget about the presidency and work hard for the senators and the congressmen. That's what I'd have to do. Carl Tubin. Evidently... The chairman of the Republican National Committee has given Trump until Labor Day to turn his campaign around, or else they were possibly going to take money away from him. And, and Republicans, leadership Republicans, have um, of, the, of the National Committee and all, have asked Grievous to do this. Now, <clears throat> how angry Trump would get and how way off he would get if that happened. Who knows? But right now, Dan Lipner, it, it does strike me as that the biggest the biggest opponent that the Republicans have are Republicans. Yeah, that's about right. And But part of the problem is, to what Bob's point is, even if you cut bait, the lead story on a presidential election year on every national and local news broadcast is the presidential race. It simply sets the tone. So as much as you might want to disconnect from Donald Trump, 
He simply is the standard bearer of the party. And unless you're going to spend an enormous sum of money, if Kelly AI decides to spend money on television distancing herself from Trump, that's no longer a money attacking her opponent. That's money, money attacking your presidential candidate. Which is an, would be an amazing, unprecedented thing, as far as I know in my political history. I mean, uh, Congressman Allen would be interesting. No, no, I, I, I think that's right. But it's too late. I said that earlier. Here's, here's my point. If they had, early on, when the primaries were going on and the debate's still going on, if they hadn't dismissed him, oh, Donald, he can't go anywhere. We said that ourselves around this table. If they had said, we've got to get in there and see that a credible candidate gets elected and played their cards then, they'd be in much better shape than to try and do it now. You know, they can't not your eye out. They, you know, there's no way for the Republican Party to, in effect, say, um, Trump, we're going to lock you up in the closet. I mean, he's the candidate. He has to be there. He's not going to win. But if I were, if I were the, the controlling uh, uh, part of the, of the establishment of the top of the Republican Party, I would be spending more of my, I would just forget about the presidency fundamentally. And just, you know, just do enough to keep it alive, especially we get some vote. But I would be putting the money on down course races on senators, governors, and things like that, because I think we could have a real problem if, you know, if, uh, if Trump makes too many stupid statements and causes a lot of trouble and what, what a kill us. How many is too many? He's done so many already. Well, yeah, but I just think what I would like him to do is just kind of realize he ain't going to win and shut up and just sit in the corner. Yeah, that sounds like Donald Trump yeah. we know. The yeah, yeah. less he does, the better we are. So, I know that, but it's not going to happen. Well, let me, no, but Denise, correct you first, and then I want to pivot a little bit. You know, when we talk about down ballot, folks, we're talking about, you know, as Bob said, the governors and the senators. In my mind, it's the governors that they need to protect. Because the governors are the ones that are responsible for the census. And the census, and you, you, you tie in the census and you start talking about redistricting, and that happens every 10 years and under normal circumstances. So if you're the governor of the state, you've got the legislature, then you control how the redistricting happens. If they lose, the Republicans lose this election, and as we talked about a few minutes ago, and they lose the election in two years, they've lost control of the process, which means that the Democrats will then redistrict the Republicans out. And that's a viable option right now. But it, but it, it strikes me, Admiral Ken, that at a time where the, the, the Republicans maintain a vast majority of the governor's mansions in the United States, that the majority of Republican legislatures are very, very active. Has Donald Trump literally set a landmine for the Republican Party as far as losing control at the state and local level even? I believe so. I, I think that this is a flu that's going to be extremely contagious uh, across the country. Um, I think people are, you know, I think people are, are just a little bit dismayed at the fact that you've got someone in the form of Donald Trump that good, good Republicans, Paul Ryan, uh, John McCain, uh, are not walking away from even though they are in peril themselves. I mean, John McCain, you know, John McCain 
I think is 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 a, is a great American. But you know, quite frankly, I think some of his greatness has been tarnished by his inability to step up and say, you know what, I'm going to put country first, like you said during his, his presidential campaign, and say what really needs to be said. And I think he would be he'd be alone for about five minutes, but I think the chorus that would back him up would be thunderous. I really do. But here's the thing, though. Hillary Clinton, Dan Lipner, has literally taken a no-media-contact approach over the past 45 days. She's given one press conference. She stayed under the radar. She's got surrogates spotting all over the talking head shows. But all she literally has to do right now is hold up a picture of Donald Trump and just start laughing and walk off stage. (laughs) Well, Well, that one press conference she had, even though it was a friendly audience, she did make the hook it right in the pond. That was a hardly a, a, a good press conference. That said, there's the political adage, which when the other side is messing up, stand back and let them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is she doing a good job at that? Yes. Denise Krepp, is there validity? Should Hillary just stay in the shadows, wait it out, and let, and let the Republicans do what they're doing? Absolutely. I mean, you've got Donald Trump that goes back to my old stopping grounds in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and keeps spouting off racist remarks. Sure, keep letting him do that. And there goes the African-American community that we talked about. Sure, let him keep talking about, you know, the things he's talking about with Muslims. Bye-bye that community. Let's talk about the border. Bye-bye that community. Just keep your mouth shut, Hillary. Bob Hines. If I was the term of the Democratic Party right now. Which Donna Brazil is right now. I would say, I would, what I would do is remove all money from the presidential race, fundamentally, except to make sure that the candidate doesn't drop dead. But the fact of the matter is, <laughs> have somebody, you know, take the money, move it into the downstate, into the down ballot positions, senators, governors, legislators, even, and use the money there because they there is no way on God's earth that... Um, the money could be used to save Trump, no matter if it would take Jesus Christ coming down and embrace, embracing him to even get anybody to look at it. Call to him. First of all, Hillary has been raising money for for the, House, the Senate campaign committee and the House campaign committee, and she's been doing a good job of, of doing that, plus raising money for her own campaign. You, She has got to stay out there. Uh, and stay on the issues. And and the one good thing with regard to uh, the last two weeks is that Trump has been so bad that when stuff comes out negative about Hillary, it doesn't get the press that it would have gotten if Hillary, if uh, Trump had shut up. <laughs> Dan Lipner? That's but, impossible. But uh, uh, to follow up on that, this, the Republicans have an additional issue, and this goes to exactly what Carl was saying, that the Clintons, unlike the team Obama, have a history of helping down ballot along the way. Now, Obama was an outlier as far as Democratic presidential politics. The Clintons have a history of, of very much knowing that it is the state legislatures, those people running at all of those other the state offices that help bring things together for the long game. Now, the Obama team Obama did help in the off years, but when Obama was on the top of the ticket, he was rather notorious for not being terribly helpful to every Democrat downstream. That is not Clinton history, 
And all the evidence suggests exactly what Carl is saying, that that infrastructure is being built and it's a team sport this go-around. Yeah. Congressman Al. And, I, and I, perhaps this is what Bob meant uh, when he said that she should do nothing. I think what she should do is continue to do exactly what she's doing, address issues, what have you, not have any press conferences, just keep the pattern going. It's working. Keep it's it working. Why change it? Why take a chance? Admiral Ken. So I think it's rather interesting in this latest little email flap with regard to the uh, pay, pay to play, uh, um, I guess, adventure um, that she's calling for the release of these emails, even though a good number were classified. At the same time, she's not releasing the transcripts of her speech. Quite frankly, I don't care what she said in her speeches. I, I really don't. Um, and, but I think that the selective approach that she is using to address certain parts of the issues around her, I think, plays into what you guys are saying that she should do. Just keep a low profile. Let the let 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 my party, you know, self-destruct. Um, but at the same time, let's not lose sight of the fact that she is not she is not an ideal candidate in any way, shape. No, she's a horrible candidate. But Dan Lipner, I would go quite as far. Oh, I'm sorry. Office. Comparatively speaking, she's a godsend to the Democrats. She she has challenges. She has challenges. Like, let's talk about this. The pay-for-play emails got her into a little bit of hot water. Uh, it gave the impression that it was a pay-to-play situation down at Foggy Bottom in the State Department headquarters. But at the same time, Dan Littner, you could not ask for a bigger blessing. She doubles down on the Comey comments. She plays off like water on a duck's back on the pay-for-play situation. On top of the fact, she's got to be sending Christmas cards to uh, the former Virginia governor, Bob McDonald, for getting that Supreme Court decision. A meeting and an email is not quid pro quo. Can she defend herself against the pay-for-play based off of the fact there's just some emails out there? Well, that's where, where the arguments matter depending on who your opponent is. And if only there were a Republican candidate who had said explicitly, of course I pay money to make sure my issues get out there and I drop money all the time. Or you have a candidate who hypothetically for the first time in 40-some-odd years, has refused to release his taxes, if only. So this is one of those situations. While Hillary's challenges are just that, and the pay-to-play thing, it it doesn't look fabulous, but it isn't fully flushed out. The problem is the vessel you have on the other side is so nobly horrendous on topics that people kind of understand. It's one of those things you can't win for losing. Carl Tubin. Well, you know, over the last two weeks, there's been so much about pay-for-play and all this kind of stuff. Number one, I think there's two factions in the State Department. One faction that likes her and will defend her, and another faction who doesn't care for her. Yeah, you know what we call that? Career employees versus political appointees. But, but the, 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 the faction, out of the faction that likes her came the spokesman for the State Department who said that there was nothing wrong. It never got to the secretary's desk. Your boy, Admiral John Kirby. Admiral John Kirby. Denise Kraft, you cringe. I, I cringe because um, during the Bush administration, I, and at the tail end of the Bush administration, 
I remember more than one Republican doing something was called burrowing in. So, uh, yeah, there are a lot of Bush holdovers at state, at the Department of Homeland Security, and other places that I'm sure were more than happy. Well, define burrowing in. You don't know burrowing in is? It, 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 I might, but the rest of America might not. Bur- burrowing in. You have a number of individuals, these are about 5,000 people, that are called political appointees. You serve as the, um, the women's president. I was one of those. Uh, at the end of a political administration, if, when the lights are turned out, you have to put your resignation in. Uh, and that means you usually you leave. However, in what I saw during the Bush administration, they switched from being political to being career folks. It was magical how it happened overnight. They went from being a political appointee that could be fired at will to having all the protections that the careers had, and they put themselves there so they could, you know, continue to propagate their own agenda. But, but, but it, 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 at the time, it, but, but nobody really picked it up. And, it it, it yeah. does happen on both sides. I mean, at the end yeah. of the, the Clinton administration, oh, yeah. I, I, I had several friends that were political appointees because mysteriously they happened to acquire the skills that the when, when yeah. you're applying for those uh, those uh, non-political jobs mysteriously happen to line up. So it is not that uncommon. I don't know the numbers administration to administration, uh, but both sides do it. It, it, Let me just say, not only did it happen at the end of the Bush administration, when we stood up the Department of Homeland Security back in 2002 and 2003, it was mind-boggling the number of um, political operatives that went into the Transportation Security Administration and the upper echelon of the uh, Department of Homeland Security. When I'm talking about political operatives, they were Newt Gingrich folks. They were a lot of other folks. And they still, trust me, when the Republicans lost their uh, the midterms in 2007, all and, and that happened on the congressional staff, they were all put in to the Department of Homeland Security. Hold on, hold on. Go ahead, Admiral Ken. Not to digress too much, but, I mean, so, one, that's not too hard to believe in that fact that uh, Homeland Security got stood up in the middle of the of of, of Bush years. So that's not, not too far afield. You know, but back to the, the point. So there are there are two schools of thought inside of every every uh, federal department, the, the, the political appointees and the career and the career people. And the, the let's not forget the fact that when this transition starts, when people uh, of the political ilk start uh, leaving, it's the professional guys who keep the lights on and the, the, the business of the nation running. So let's not denigrate them too much, regardless of what right. what their politics might be. They're still but, there to the nation. But, that, but John Allen, on the offside, though, it, it is not unknown that the Clinton White House under Bill kind of had a transactional nature to it. The Clintons themselves have been kind of a friend to those who help out the friends of Clinton. Can she offset that, or is that a stigma that's still attached to her? I mean, that's fact, not evidence, Councilor. <laughs> I think that's why all the Democrats in Washington are getting ready to celebrate in the streets, because they're about to have somebody who does politics in the White House, rather than somebody who thinks the politics is dirty, except when it's electing them. But, but is, it, is it, in fact, is it, in fact, a challenge for Hillary to make that distinction there is a very big distinction between pay-for-play transactional government versus 
politics as there is a difference, a fundamental difference between pay for access and pay for play. And the Supreme Court has just ruled in the Bob McDonald case that your donors can get meetings essentially in exchange for their donations. Right. And nobody's accused the Clintons of that. Nobody has any evidence of even that, much less people getting contracts, people being excluded from contracts and those kinds of things. I think they play hardball. I think they help their friends. I think they don't I think they hurt their enemies. And then once their enemies have been hurt for a while and they want to come crawling back, they, they bring them back in like any good political people. What I would say is this. She's got to distance herself from the Clinton Foundation. If How does she do that? Nobody, How no, does she effectively do that? They appoint somebody other than, and they did this with Donna Shalala, but nobody believes that there's any distance between these things because it's Donna Shalala. They point Bono or somebody like that, the head of the Clinton Foundation, while she's running for president, if she wins the presidency while she's president, and they have no contact with the Clinton Foundation. I mean, Congressman, now this seems like a fairly reasonable request is change the name of the Clinton Foundation, get somebody new up there to head it up, and distance yourself from even the optics of pay-for-play. What that does is it, it admits to every charge that's been made uh, on, on, this, on this issue. It's, it, it's admitting that, uh, that what your critics have said about you is true. So this looks like a, this looks like a walk back if the Clintons were to separate themselves. You know, everybody thinks of Shelley's back room as a cigar spot in Washington, D.C. You know, Shelley's back. You know, everybody thinks of Shelley's back room as a cigar spot in Washington, D.C. You know what the reality is? It is the cigar spot in D.C. Where else can you grab a great cocktail made by world-renowned bartenders? Or where else are you going to get the finest cigar list of any restaurant in all of Washington, D.C.? And then the great food. You come for the food. It can be the campfire wings. One pound of roasted, not fried, well-seasoned, marinated jumbo chicken wings with choices of Shelly's honey mustard or blue cheese or ranch dressing. These are award-winning wings. That's why you come to Shelly's. It's the whole package. You can drink, you can smoke, have great conversations with your friends, and have a great food menu. Shelly's Back Room. 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. You know what? It is the place to be. Thank you. 
backroom politics. And we're back here live at Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. It's the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. By the way, my producers out in California have been thumping me on the head. If you want to join the conversation, you can call in 657-383-0419. Again, that number is 657-383-0419. We're going to talk a little bit about Obamacare politics right now. For those who have not seen it, news coming out of the healthcare world, Aetna, one of the nation's largest healthcare providers, has announced that after a $200 million loss of revenue over the past year, they are, in fact, canceling 70% of their Obamacare coverage in the system. Wait, clarification. Are we talking an actual loss or loss of revenue? Like they were making $700 million and A then- $200 million loss is the way that Aetna put it out as their statement. Of course they would. So here's... <laughs> but, but you're now taking effectively one of the largest healthcare providers in the country and removing them from Obamacare. That now leaves you roughly three large providers in Cigna, United Healthcare. <laughs> and Blue Cross Blue Shield, Kaiser Permanente, I'm sorry, the fourth one. But here's the question. Is this the beginning of the downfall of Obamacare? Denise Krepp. I hope not. And the reason I say I hope not, because I'm on Obamacare. No. Um, We purchased it two years ago, and in two years, our monthly rate has gone up $400 per month. And I assumed it had gone up because the number of people they thought were going to apply did not apply. If we lose that number of folks, that means those of us that are paying market rates are going to see our prices go through the roof, and that's going to make us drop out because we cannot afford to subsidize those that cannot afford to pay market rates. Go ahead, Dan Lipner. So That said, you have to take all of private health care funding or financing issues with a grain of salt. To say they cook the books a little is an understatement. Um, so, yeah, there are. But they're doing it in compliance with Obamacare law, with the Affordable Care Act. I have no doubt that is true, but it is not a truly competitive marketplace. As you, described, as you stated correctly, there are not many of these large players out there. And for the most part, they are making pretty good profits. That said, taking on an additional step, when you have some self-dealing going on even within that within their industry. So several insurance companies actually own their own hospitals along the way. And how that building is handled internally, legally it's called self-dealing. But in, in those kind of marketplaces, while regulated, they are still tenuously regulated because the governing market rate is still determined by a, a remarkably small number of players that a tacit collusion going on is more than... So wait a minute. So what I'm hearing from you is is that this now becomes an argument closer to the single-payer system. If hospital companies like Adventist Healthcare, MedStar, HCA, uh, and that grouping, they then become the insurers and the providers, does this now get closer to a situation where single-payer system is more... Logical? Is it more real? So a good thing the the ACA did that most people don't know about 
was the ACA required apples to apples record keeping. So standardizing, and it's much to the chagrin of many doctors, that everything must be recorded in, in very precise detail. And this has led to stories about uh, medicines that have been on the shelf uh, for 60 years that are actually more effective than the latest and greatest sexy but wildly expensive but not as effective drugs that have been coming off the shelf. Now, that is true for all issues. It's been true for more than a few. So that being said, with that data collection and also tracking the cost for outcomes that is going forward, yeah, you're getting some numbers that create sustainability issues for people who are, for, not necessarily people, but for, for sectors of the healthcare economy that were taking windfall profits that absolutely shouldn't have been. But then he's crap. What now you're doing is, in, in, in many aspects of it, is putting the wolf in charge of the hen house here. Yes, yeah. you are. And then you put those of us with children that are not willing to change doctors because the doctor knows the kid um, in a very interesting situation because we're ha- we have to pay more. And we're going to be paying more if the etnas of the world drop out. And that's concerning me right now. Admiral Ken, so... To be clear, I, I was a reserve officer uh, until my promotion to Admiral. Right. Prior to that, I, I was an IT professional at United Healthcare and Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, and my flight promotion came after the passing of the ACA. Of, of the ACA. So I got to watch my Blue Cross Blue Shield and from a distance, um, uh, from a distance, United Healthcare go through um, the, the, the 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 rigor of trying to understand what was in it and what wasn't and what all needed to be. Uh, uh, take, uh, taken into account. So my big issue with ACA is this, that it looked at one part of an incredibly complex supply chain. Case in point. Okay, so one, population matters. Denise is, is, is partially right about that. The smaller the population, the more your coverage is going to cost. The other piece of it that, that, to my knowledge, that ACA doesn't take a look at is the cost of pharmaceuticals. And, I, and, and it also doesn't take a look at, at, uh, at malpractice insurance. My issue here is this. Every morning when I get up to watch Morning Joe or CNN or half a dozen other news shows, uh, the, 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 the waves are just littered with advertisements by drug companies. Why are drug companies allowed? Hang on. I can't answer that. Okay, but, but the point that I'm making is that so advertising – costs money. We're no longer able to advertise cigarettes on TV. We're not able to advertise cigars on television. Then why then would we be okay with advertising uh, medications? Again, if, if you're of the mindset, which I believe most Democrats are, that healthcare shouldn't be a business, then let's be, let's be, true, to our, let's be true to your core and try and resolve this and take care of the entire uh, healthcare chain rather than just focus Carl, on the insurance on. company. Carl Cuban first, then Dan. Uh, yeah. Uh, when this when this story broke uh, on the Sunday morning news programs, uh, two or three different shows said that uh, Aetna had lost a uh, um, a petition either to one of the agencies or whatever, and that this was their reaction to losing that losing their uh, position, that they would make this threat. Now we'll have to see where it goes and, and what happens. Dan Lipner? So to, to Admiral Ken's point, he's right. Um, the, the, the pharma issue was actually brought up during the actual original ACA debate. 
and it was arguably a deal made with the devil by the Obama administration to explicitly exclude pharmaceutical price controls uh, during that debate. Now, part of that is because politics being the nature of politics, they, they wanted to take somebody who's capable of spending an enormous sum of money to fight them and get them off the playing field. They weren't going to support Obamacare, but they weren't going to fight it either. So that was part of the, the political solution there. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying that's part of the, the political math to get it passed. Denise Crap. All right. You're right. There, there were there were deals that were done to pass this bill. I mean, and they were done specifically, again, to pass the bill. But do I think we should be going back, especially if we're losing the evidence in the world? Yeah, I think we should be examining um, big pharma and the amount of money that we are paying for pharmaceuticals. This is crazy, the amount of money. And I would argue that the reasons that they are doing those big ads and they're putting it in your stuck in livings in the world and your better house, um, better homes and your Time magazines is that the readers are going, geez, this sounds like a wonderful drug. I need to get it. When in reality, the generic is actually not only cheaper, but equally as safe. Yeah, well, Ken, so, and I'm, I'm not advocating price controls, but what I am advocating is taking some of the, some of the price, some of the high cost of delivering health care uh, out of play. I, 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 I would love to have a conversation, uh, maybe in a, in, a, in a different setting, to help, on me, to help everybody understand. Everything, my dad was right, everything costs money. Nothing's free. And to only compress one component of the healthcare supply chain without looking at some of the bigger price items, i.e. medications, is just not realistic. Right. And you're, and you're setting yourself up, and you're setting yourself up for United Healthcare and Blue Cross doing the same thing that Aetna's doing at some point. Because at the end of the day, they're in business to make money. But, no, but, no, but well, A, that you're absolutely right. And this is why I, I very carefully use the phrase windfall profit, which is an economic term which suggests that if in a truly competitive market, windfall profits should not be plausible because a new market entrant would be there unless the barriers to entry are too high. It's a very del- deliberate turn of phrase. Yeah, that but, but here's the thing, though. big pharma thing, but this needs to be expanded on. The big pharma issue, there are several countries that actually suggest, that say explicitly pharmaceuticals may not advertise for the very reason that we've described around the table. And when it's been noted that the, the big pharma has suggested that, well, you know, we do our own R&D. That is also a bit of a fib. Consistently across the board, more money is spent on advertising than their own research and development. Yes. yes. Worse, yes. worse yes. yet, Agreed. Okay. the largest spender for research and development by far that laps the field several times as a U.S. taxpayer down the street here at, 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 NIH, at, NIH, at NIH, NHHS, and actually the Pentagon. Right. Also, because money gets funneled there because anything DOD is obviously good in our, in our system. But, but, but here's the thing, though. But, but Dan, when you start talking about words like price control, when you start looking at the last man standing in these big organizations, the two that are going to be left standing are Kaiser Permanente and probably Blue Cross Blue Shield, which are largely not health insurance providers but health co-ops. You're then now quickly going to what looks like Canadian care. It was inevitable. Why is it inevitable? Because the healthcare is not a natural marketplace. If any of us around the table here are to peel over and have a heart attack right here on the spot, at no point can we price out the best option for treatment. That is not available. And 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 that's true for even lesser healthcare issues. Not one of us is an MD. And by definition, we are not capable of making a truly intelligent, informed 
decision on the on the medical care by itself, let alone what is the best price. Well, I, you see, I, we I, are, I, we, I disagree with that. I disagree with that. How much does the heart attack cost? No, no, no. no, no. But here's the how thing. much does the heart attack I cost? Can't answer that because, quite frankly, <laughs> no, because quite frankly, you're trying to put a a, a one-size-fits-all medical program into a big box. It depends on where the coverage is. I can tell you right now, my heart attack here in Washington, D.C. is going to be a hell of a lot more expensive than it is in Little Rock, Arkansas. That's reality. This but if you do, but nonetheless, the, the question still stands, even all of us being here in the greater D.C. area, not one of us can answer that question. How about something more simple? An appendectomy, a, a tonsillectomy. These are relatively We can go around this all day long, but Admiral Ken, the fact still remains is that if you look at this from a cost-benefit aspect, you look at every farm, big pharma is still going to say that we have to make money because we do research and development. How else are you going to come up with uh, something like Viagra? Viagra. How else are you going to come up? But but. The fact still remains is your major pharma companies, your Pfizer's, et cetera, are still putting a lot of money into research and development, even in the situation of, like, orphan drugs. Well, the, the challenge that I have in, in going completely with that is, is again, I'm, I'm going back to, to, to my understanding of, of, of advertising dollars. So you got – I can't remember the name of the, of the, of the drug. I'm not going to say it because I don't want to give them any free advertising. They're going to pay me. They'd be great. Um, well, we also don't want to get sued. Well, no, 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 no. But, but, but you know, but this particular ad has got a got a race car driver, a professional golfer, a professional basketball player, oh, and a professional it. comedian doing do do doing a, an ad and at prime time uh, mornings. Now, you know, they this 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 ad buy had been several, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars to get this to get this time slot. Now, so we're we're now, if you take that and you multiply it, we've just covered the cost. Of of uh, keeping Obamacare up, up up and running. Don't get me wrong. I, I was against it. I am still not completely but, happy but, with but, it. But, but the fact of the matter is, my my issue here is that it was it was a flawed bill that I've not seen too much correction going on down uh, since since its implementation. Well, and if there were Congress that were willing to do hold that. Hold on, Congressman Al, you had a point. A couple of points. First of all, <clears throat> it is absolutely true that. Pharmaceuticals say that they are paying the bulk of the research and development for the world. If you want to know why things are cheaper in Mexico and Canada, ask what Mexico and Canada are putting into research and development. They're putting in nothing, essentially, and we're paying the bill. Uh, so that, that's number one. Then advertising is the, is the next one. My God. The amount of money they are spending to tell you all the things that this medicine will not do for you or to you. Ever read the copy? Geniuses write that stuff. Well, it, well, these pharmaceutical companies get two-page ads, one for the advertisement and the other for the small print. They have to by law. Go ahead, Denise Kraft. If I was to change um, ACA, there are a couple things I would do. Uh, and, and these are low-hanging fruits. First of all, uh, I, I would go after the medical schools. Right now, the money goes to the medical schools, not to the students. Did you guys know that when you go to medical school and you do your residency and you do your internship, that's all paid by or by the federal government? That's how they live. It's subsidized. We subsidize every medical student here in the United States, their internship and their residency. Isn't that crazy? Okay. But, but we do that. I think not to say the medical students don't 
don't leave with debt as well, but it does not equate to the cost of their training. I know, but what I'm trying to say is no, that there, there's that. some low-hanging fruit here. I mean, and, by the way, if we're subsidizing all of this, the majority of these guys and gals are going into specialties that have nothing to do with general practice. So I would I'd say, hey, if we're going to do some big changes, we need to be forcing more people to go into becoming GPs instead of becoming dermatologists. Go ahead, go ahead Admiral Ken. So yesterday afternoon, I spent about 45 minutes on the phone with my, my, my car insurer because I've got a car uh, that my son's driving in Texas. I've got a car that my kid's driving here in D.C., and I've got one that's in, in, in a garage out in, in Maryland. So I think in the, in the area of low-hanging fruit, Let's let's remove the stupid barrier between states. Let's yes. no 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 yes. absolutely not. Yes. No, wait, hold, yes. on, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's let Ken yes. finish. Let Ken finish. Let's remove this. That is not a thing. Let's let Ken yes, finish. finish. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because no, because so it, because in working for Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, the the company was Healthcare Service Corporation. It owned the plans for Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Illinois. So the differences in how the coverages were applied and the regulations, we have to account for that state by state by state. That's insane. In the 21st century, you know what? When I get ready to apply for uh, for healthcare insurance, you know it shouldn't matter where I live. So, it, the, but Ken, why not? You're saying national federalize it, not so state what, what, state. What, what, what I'm hearing is, is you want to federalize the healthcare system? No, I want to. No, 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 no. I don't want. To, no, you didn't hear me right. What I want to do is I want to take take away. Uh, I want I want a, a a standard set of regulations that's applied across across the the, the U.S. That would I don't be want a, a commerce clause for the federal government. I don't, government I don't to want to federalize. But I want, I want one set of standards to where where Blue Cross Blue Cross doesn't cost uh, the the difference in my rates don't matter because of where I live. But that's, but that's federalization though. No, it's not. Okay. It's why is it? Wait, hold on. Why is it not federalization? Then? federal government isn't taking over, which you're simply saying... They're mandating. No, you have one standard. My father is a GP in in Charlottesville, and he he spent 30 years uh, practicing medicine down in North Carolina, and trust me, more than one dinner conversation was talking about this exact same subject, which was that it was making it more expensive because they don't do it right now. If you do it, it brings down the cost. More yeah, but, but the, wait, the, we're conflating a couple different arguments together. We have to, we have to, but wait a minute, I, 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 I want to, conflating, conflating, yeah, by the way, about half of our audience is now going through the dictionary going, damn it. But, but, <laughs> but Dan, but Dan I, I want to say this though. You're talking, if we go off of your idea of creating overarching standards, okay, and we let the states implement those standards, you're talking about states that can't even regulate the way that they pave roads, i.e. Louisiana, without some sort of meddling. How do you expect them to implement health care regulations and oversight at a mass level? I don't, which is part of the reason why. So the buy, buying health insurance across state lines, so a couple of things, all that does is lead to a race to the bottom. Uh, which is why everyone's credit card bills, for the most part, go to two or three states. So the Supreme Court had a decision, I believe in the 50s, saying that that there is no federal preemption on this, thus the states can do it. And lo and behold, all the credit card companies reincorporated in a handful of places, which is not dissimilar to why companies incorporate in Delaware and Arizona. There are places very friendly to to those particular things for business law. That said, all the across state lines will do was would mean whatever the lowest bar is, everyone will be incorporate there. That is by to your point, those same places that can't pave their roads 
I don't want dictating healthcare nationwide. What I would much prefer is, is federalization. It, it, is federal preemption is federalization is correct? A federal preemption saying these are the these are the guidelines that govern all 50 states, and if you want to practice, if you want to provide health insurance in anywhere in in the United States, these are this is what governs it. Now the fact that all 50 states have their own systems and their own protections and all that. Absolutely, they have they different requirements for how you are licensed as a doctor. They can't even get that standard down correctly. Right, and well, the AMA is its own special beast, much, much like no, no, much like lawyers that are, that say. But there are still different requirements. I can sit for the bar without going to law school in Montana and be a lawyer. Right, but that's the point that there, there, we have a federal system. You want me to take a medical board license in Montana because I played. I played operation. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, but, but the same folks, and this is why we, we are a political show that there is not an insignificant percentage of the country that still argues states' rights on things. That obviously states do this better, even though for the most part that is not true. But Congress, they will still argue it nonetheless. But Congressman Allen, it seems to me that in this discussion, we've heard the two different tracks saying. One, create a federal oversight program that the states will implement, and then there's also the idea of federalizing. It seems to me that, and you're as a former member of Congress, if, if Congress changes or amends the ACA and they create a federal standard of health care, does that screen federalization of medical practice? I, I honestly yeah. don't know. You can call it whatever you want. Uh, certainly calling it federalization is going to just drive the Republicans crazy. Yes. Right. Uh, and we, we seem to overlook something. This is a beautiful example of what, when Congress can't work in its normal fashion, and it makes all of these crazy accommodations compromise, uh, you end up with really bad law. I don't know of anybody who thinks this came out of Congress in good shape. And almost everybody says we're going to have to revisit it. The problem is we're going to send it right back to the same gang of people that screwed it up in the first place. But that's been true of every major piece of legislation. Social Security was not flawless when it was passed. Neither was Medicare or Medicaid. They, they took my, Congress to actually act. That's, Hold on. That's, my, that's, my, that's my point. And the fact is that it doesn't look like you're going to have enough change in Congress to be able to remedy the situation. We'll go right back to the same old argument we had when we passed it. Well, I mean, that's the nonsense, though, that's been going on. Even the president has said there are flaws with the ACA. I would love a partner in Congress to work with, not just the 50-some-odd votes to repeal it. Admiral Ken, so... This is not an oversimplification. This is just a fact. And one of the major factors, one of the major factors in determining how much to charge someone for their care is population size. If the population is small, that's why, and, and, I, and I can tell you this because as a, as a former Blue Cross Blue Shield employee, the insurance that I paid for my company was a lot higher than what was paid by my spouse at the time because the population was small. The larger the population, the cheaper the cost. Now, that's not the only factor, but it is a big factor. But Denise Crook, tell me how... That's that's what brings you back to the Canadian system, which 
was was simply not even considered because it, it was an anathema to the Republicans. But it sounds, as I listen to this conversation, it sounds like that's the solution to the problem. No, it is not. It is about. not the solution, Congressman Al. The, the 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 point that I'm trying to make, and I'll I'll try this again. When ACA when ACA was passed, it looked at one factor in a very, very complicated supply chain. All I'm saying is if you're going to basically, if you're going to look for change to make it better, don't just pick one. You've got to look at them all, and you've got to be willing to pull them It, it chose to engage one factor. It didn't just look at it. Like the, but wait, 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 wait. I want to go back to this, though. And he's crap. So if you're talking about regulating, you know, all looking at all factors, you're talking about looking at the price of coverage. You're looking at the price of providing the medical care services. You're looking at the price of pharmaceuticals medication out there. You're looking at the price of hospitalization. All of that considered, how is it that you can effectively get a true, a true standard set by the federal government, have the states employ it, and not have it look like the Canadian system? Well, first of all, you're assuming there's the transparency that you're asking for right there. Um, Wood Cross is being sued for that lack of transparency. All right, all right. So, you know, you, you've, got, you've got the issue of the lack of transparency. Do I think we're going to end up in the, the Canadian system, which is broken? No, I, I don't. Um, but do I think that there should be some changes made to our system? Yes. Because, for, you know, for me personally, seeing the price range go up $400 per month over two years is astronomical. And it's not right, but I know exactly. But it's not something I can continue to do. But I am put in this position, and so is everybody else. By the way, which the system was created. All right, but Dan Lipner, what we're talking about here is, is it actually realistic that in a market economy that the U.S. promotes as part of the greatness of this country, you can have a fair market economy with profits and the bottom line being a factor as a healthcare provider and still provide the coverage that you need to cost effectively without raising prices $400 every two years. Well, as, as I mentioned, so healthcare almost by definition is a non-competitive market. And How do you say that though? ACA supposedly created the competitive market according to President Obama. It may have been an overgenerous statement. Of- <laughs> <laughs> that was the whole basis of ACA. The no, overgenerous. Wait, 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 wait! I want to see him come out of this. This is glorious. <laughs> I can't wait. So the, the the fact of the matter is the the phrase is price inelasticity. So the comment that I I threw out to you regarding either a hard tax, appendectomy, or a tonsillectomy. All of which are procedures that really aren't open for debate. You can't even push them off if you don't want them. They have to happen when they have to happen. Sam, counselor, answer my question. The answer to your question is no. It's a non-competitive. By definition, healthcare is a non-competitive market. If you need it, you gotta have it. But again, the price is what the price is. And unless there's a price control by somebody who actually knows what the hell they're talking about, it is impossible for it to be a balanced. Dan, market. I love you. We're coming up on the break, but I'm going to leave you with this. I want to see where you get your talking points. Is Jen Psaki just texting you this, 
or is this coming from outside in your interpretation it of ACA? If you can look up the, the price of those things, any of those items, even in DC, I'll keep it in ALC the small. Look up any of them. And then tell me how you would competitively price those items. Again, the problem with ACA. This is the problem. This predates the ACA. We're done with this. We gotta go to break. We're we're done. I didn't give Carl the last word. I apologize, Carl. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna talk. We're going to talk about something a lot less turbulent. Why the GOP hasn't imploded is beyond all of us. We're going to talk about a future of what does the GOP look like going downstream. This is Backroom Politics Live on Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us.
<laughs> and we're back here live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. This is Back Room Politics, the best political talk show you've never heard of, live on Blog Talk Radio. If you want to join the conversation, if you want to join the conversation, you can dial in 657-383-0419. Again, that number is 657-383-0419. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit going back to... Uh, political talk. We're going to we're we're on the air, guys. Right, just would love to enga- would love to engage you guys. Would love to have you guys jumping on. For those that he's you know it's me and Bob. I apologize. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's live live radio show, guys. Right, anytime. Right. So anyway, we were talking earlier about uh, the, the conundrum that the uh, conundrum that the GOP is in regarding Donald Trump, but they've got some bigger issues right now. There look appears to be a possible head-to-head combat between the current GOP chairman, Reince Priebus, and former presidential candidate, uh, Carly Fiorina. Uh, That is also followed by the fact that there's a definite, definitive splinter inside the GOP. Bob, as the old sage Republican at the table, the question is, why hasn't the GOP imploded, or is it on the brink of total disaster? I wish that I had a good answer to that. I don't know, but I, I don't think it's going to blow up. But it's uh, it's going to be damaged, and it's the, I don't know where where it's going, but I think it's going to continue. But I suspect it's going to be a, a, a party that doesn't uh, doesn't have many successes at the higher levels of of, of the uh, of the low. It's not, they're not going to win the presidency this year. I think the uh, I think the Republican Party is like a, a boat that is floating down the river and all of a sudden there's holes in the bottom and the boat is sinking. Okay. Real quickly, Admiral Ken, you've got a situation where there's questionable there's questions about leadership going forward after this election. You've got splinter factions now in the Trump base versus the quote-unquote establishment. How much damage could this election do to the parties as a whole, and can it maintain strength down ballot? So you're probably asking me that because of uh, uh, Carl's nautical uh, slam. Probably. Um, so we're, 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 we're approaching a tipping point, um, and that's going to be the, the, the point at which I think Rice Priebus and uh, the the other members of the party leadership, Carl, Carl uh, uh, Paul Ryan, sorry, Paul Ryan, um, they they have to sit down and, and take a serious serious hard look. Do we do we lose everything with the the, the 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 possible and maybe right now the probable loss of the presidency, or do we we act to save save what we have? If they make the decision to act to save what what we have, then. Then I think then, then I think the the party is going to be a little bit more resilient than if they choose another path. Um, you know, they're in leadership for a reason. People in leadership have to make really hard decisions, and this arguably will probably be one of the toughest ones that they'll make in their tenures. Um, I think the the right answer is to is to one you know put the country ahead of party, and then put the party ahead of individuals. Bob Hines. Looking at the quote-unquote leadership, right now, Paul Ryan seems to have the biggest spot on top of the Republican Party right now, No, not, not taking into consideration Donald Trump. 
But is there a responsibility for Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell uh, to try and put and make the party right again? And how much pressure is there? I think the best thing they can do is in quiet backroom meetings with some of their colleagues, keep everything under control. Keep, you know, try to keep things solid. We're going to have, we've got a problem. We've got a candidate for presidency who is, uh, is not, not a strong one. And we've got other problems. But what we don't want to do is panic. And I think it's important that the, the leadership says, look, let's just hunker down, put our helmets on, and uh, let's just create it out. John Allen, you, you cover Congress. Is there a sense of panic within the Republican Party on the Hill that you're seeing? Is there, is there a fear that the party could total control of everything and they're going to have to spend the next maybe four or five election cycles rebuilding? I think that there's, um, I think panic is a mild term. I mean, look, they're all looking at the same thing, which is whistling past the graveyard on what's about to happen in this election. And they're all choosing different uh, unenviable positions, different, you know, the worst of multiple evils uh, in their views. Each of the members of Congress is making decisions about whether it's better to stand with Trump or, or stand away from Trump. Um there's going to be a reckoning for the Republican Party, and the question is going to be, I, my personal view is that the party will actually come together uh, about three years from now. Because three years into a Clinton presidency, they're going to be so sick of being in the minority that you won't see the Donald Trump phenomenon. You won't see the continued rise of the Tea Party, and you will actually see the Republican Party start moving back toward the moderate. Congressman Allen, Carl Tubin. I think the Republicans should have started a long time ago being more cooperative with the minority, not giving in to them, but allowing some genuine uh, compromises to be made. It surprises me that with, with somebody like Nancy Pelosi, who is head of the Democratic Party, uh, and who I think could screw up the Democrats uh, as badly as the Republicans are screwed up, given her intransigence on liberal sides of issues. Uh, but she's been quiet. She's not been mouthing off. And the result is that you can't really blame the Democrats for the mess that's on the Hill. Thank God. And, she's, and she has sat on her left wing at important times. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that... So to speak. That, the, the Democrats are in on fairly good shape because they have been restrained. And that's what the Republicans have got to learn how to do, is be restrained. Carl Tubin? In, in pursuing the policies that they believe are essential. Carl Tubin? I think that what's going to happen, first of all, it's going to depend on if there is a Republican loss, how bad is it, how far down ballot did it go? Then you've got... Um, a, a strong person in the Speaker of the House if the House doesn't go Republican or Democratic, you, you've still got uh, the Speaker there. The Speaker and Priebus come from the same state. and They've known each other for a long time. And I think if it, 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 the uh, 
if the destruction is not very bad, that he is going to want Priebus to be chairmanship again, or he might ask Priebus, if he's, if he's really thinking of running for president, he might ask Priebus to come home and help him uh, a plan uh, for, two, for 2020. Admiral Ken, so I, I think in, in, in the, I guess, response to something that Congressman Al said, I think one of the main reasons that Nancy Pelosi was as successful in managing her, her party is the fact that she didn't have a Tea Party-like entity that she had to deal with. The, 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 uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is that at one point in this town, Republicans and Democrats used to work together. They would they go out to dinner, they talk, they compromise. It has now you know become such a, a, a bad situation that you, you can't be seen if you're if you're a Republican um, socializing with a Democrat without being pilloried by somebody in, in in the Tea Party. And you know and what's really interesting about that is you know this organization started out you know worrying about economics and then they, they veered tremendously off to the right to start worrying about social stuff. And, and but the, but the upshot of it is that uh, John's right that in about three years' time after this election, even if it goes really really bad, I think it might be enough time to basically you know to flush that part of the element uh, out of out of the uh, out of the the, uh, the equation, and people can start coming back together to govern this country, which is the reason that they come here in the first place. But, but John Allen, the, the Republicans have to lick their wounds after what was largely seen as a disastrous Benghazi hearing with Hillary after she went marathon on him. That's so true. Yeah. And they, they, they've had several other bad issues and, southern, and several bad optics associated, associated with the Republican Party. Is, is there somebody on the outside or on the inside that can actually come in and rewrite this with the type of leadership that's needed right now in the party? I nominate Bob Hines. <laughs> <laughs> so what Bob Hines has given you? Look, I, think, I think there are a couple of people that have nominated themselves for this task. Uh, one of them is uh, John Kasich of Ohio, uh, who, has, who I think, better than any candidate in the entire Republican primary field, created a narrative and stuck with it and was, was courteous to Trump, but not a pawn of Trump stood apart from him without throwing things at him. And I think he's one, one version of it, and the other version is Ted Cruz. But I really think the folks that have gone in with Donald Trump are going to be in a bad, bad place after this. Wow. Bob Hines and then Dan Lipner. I think that is a very, very intelligent That's a very intelligent thought you have there. Thank you. It's, it's, exact, <laughs> no, it's exactly what has to be done. Uh, in order to pull the party back together, you've got, a, you've got some real problems. Number one, Ohio is a big state, strong state. It's got strong base. That's a good place to start. And if that, they work that way and take their time, I think they'll be able to pull things back together. But right now, they need to take a deep breath and solidify their base and then move forward. I think if Cruz and Kasich could figure out how to run together in the next election, they'd be a pretty tough ticket. Wow. Yeah, that, that would be a very interesting ticket and, yeah. would, and would be a very good ticket. And, and, and Ohio and Texas, tons of fundraising. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tons of people. Yeah, it, would well, be, it would be a magnificent effort. Dan Lipner? Well, first and foremost, I'm pretty certain uh, 
uh, Cruz is going to have a primary opponent in Texas versus Tennessee. That said, that said, the the larger issue, and this has been correctly said first, Nancy Pelosi and Democrats for a while we not that Republicans have a, a monopoly on nonsense issues in politics. However, the question is whether that those nonsense issues make it up to the people in positions of power that actually do things. And I mentioned the Planned Parenthood uh, hearings, which could have been an amazing moment for Republicans. But Jason Chavez uh, did a remarkably terrible job, not even knowing what the 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 items he was using for a visit <laughs> for visuals where they came from, and. When you are pandering with those nonsense issues at a national stage and you're just pandering to the folks who already believe the nonsense, regardless of whether or not they're facts, you have essentially lost the debate right there. And repeatedly, Republicans, with the possible exception of Governor Kasich, who I actually respect through his presidential run and even through his, how he handled his politics in Ohio, was pretty impressive. However, the nonsense that everyone else dealt with on stage for the presidential race was pretty much not exclusive to Trump. It was across the field. And how you silence that nonsense is the question. And nobody else had the graph. John Allen, there's a developing story right now. Apparently the FBI has sent the uh, Clinton report up to the Hill. This almost seems like putting fuel on the fire of, you know, creating this, we're going after Clinton, we're going after Clinton, and it seems like the American public's like, all right, you've already done this, we don't want to see another marathon with Clinton in front of a hearing. Are they setting themselves up for another shot in the foot, or is there an expectation that this might take Clinton down a notch and give Trump some light at the end of the tunnel? I think the FBI was pretty smart not to report it. <laughs> I mean, look, every time Hillary Clinton says a sentence, she could say hello, and Republicans would have an investigation uh-huh. whether she lied about hello, lied about it under oath, uh, you know, uh, it was a pay-for-play hello, and it is killing them. They look terrible. They look like they don't want to win an election, that they want to steal an election. They look like they're abusing the judicial, the justice process. The FBI came in after looking at everything, after interviewing them and saying, said, there is no, we cannot make a recommendation of prosecution against her. And still we see news stories about uh, Judicial Watch put out this email or that email that the FBI already looked at. The Republicans keep banging the drum. They should concentrate on the reasons you shouldn't vote for Hillary Clinton, which are bad judgment in particular. Denise, Congressman Al first, and I want to go to Denise because I want your take on something. I don't know the answer to this, and so I'm asking you: Has any of this bullshit that Trump? <laughs> Congressman, it's a family show. It's a very clean cow. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> Does anybody know whether any of this? that's going on nationally is playing out in congressional races or below. We talk about down ticket. Is any Republican in trouble because uh, because they are, you know, the Democrats would charge them with not being 
John's shaking his head. He says, I, I have not seen any evidence of that. The districts are drawn so tightly and in such partisan ways that they're the problem for Republicans, and I think you probably are getting this all you get to, but I, I would just say the problem for Republicans is the red meat that they have to throw into their constituents in their districts militates against them winning statewide elections and presidential elections, but helps them in their congressional districts. Well, not that should, no, but the, should suggest then that redistricting can be done in a way that doesn't hurt them. You, you would have just said redistricting has hurt the, the Republicans. No, no, they, but they have a demographic oh, issue there because well, of. There's one other question. Before we get to that, though, I want to ask Denise. Denise, it seems to me that the Democrats on the Hill and in the committees are really, really secretly hoping for another Hillary Marathon committee hearing because every time they put Hillary in front of a committee, she seems to knock it out of the park and the Republicans look silly. Is there a secret hope that this will cause another committee hearing? We'll see uh, Hillary Clinton in a committee hearing room for 11 hours and yet again get nothing out of it? I don't think there's a secret hope. Uh, you know, if it happens, yeah, she's going to be a rock star. She's going to hit several home runs, and the Republicans are going to look around going, geez, wonder why this happened again. She's an excellent debater. If there's one thing I can give Hillary, she's an excellent debater. She knows how to think on her feet. And what we saw during the recent Republican, um, well, what they tried to be in position, was that they do not know how to... Um, to deal with her, you know, and she is magnificent in their performance, and that is something that, um, unless they figure that out, they're going to keep failing. Carl Tubin, real quick, but there's think, only I one John Dingle, and he's not of their party. He's the guy who could put that together. Right, yes. Carl Tubin. I think that the more the more the Republicans are seen as trying to get something more on Hillary, the more sympathetic women and other people are going to be toward Hillary. Right. And, and if they get her before a hearing, the same thing. More sympathy for her and more bad, bad on the other guy. Right, fair that's, enough. That's the demographic. Yeah. The fact that college-educated white women that I honestly, not, not a statistic I ever truly paid attention to, until <laughs> this year, for the first time apparently ever in the recording of polling, these folks are voting Democrat, not Republican, or at least leaning not just heavily, yeah, let me tell you wildly heavily. We always did vote Democrat. Right, that's true. But you told both of you were voting Republican. So, no, anyway, no, well, all right, I'm going to let that be the last word. So, I'm taking Monterey's privilege today. I, I'm very fortunate today, instead of having uh, tell me a story, which would normally be in this segment, since we only have seven minutes left, uh, I'm very fortunate. I've got my nephew, Paulie Russell, down from New York, kind of our New York political connection. Uh, Paulie, you are going off to where this fall? You got to talk into the microphone. That's the microphone there, buddy. Hunter College. And what are you going to be studying? Political science. Just like your Uncle Justin? Yes. Oh, that's my man. That's my man. Are you going to spread the gospel of backroom politics to all your friends up there at Hunter College? I will. You will. A class should be listening to to our show. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Do you agree with that, Paulie? Yeah. All right. Wow. <laughs> man, a man of many words. <laughs> <laughs> Balanced perspective. Balanced perspective. Yeah, so That's... You, you do realize that we've crossed over into the older generation and you may be slightly I might what? No, I don't care. I'm his uncle. I'm his uncle. And I, and, 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 no, he's much embarrassed. He's not embarrassed. <laughs> that may be the case. 
I'm embarrassed for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and Grace, who came down here to see the show as well, you accompanied my nephew Paul. What did you think of the show? I really enjoyed it. It was great. I just it nice to see different perspectives. And where are you going off to school? Oh, University of Michigan. The University of Wolverines? Go blue. Go blue? Oh, Go God. Blue. An- another Wolverine. That's what the yeah. country needs. Uh, what are you going to be studying? Uh, international relations and foreign policy. Really? Anybody you want to give a shout out to? Um, Lawrence Wright. I love his book, The Wizard Tower. Okay. I thought it was going to be a hello mom, hello dad. Wow. She's from Manhattan. You can't tell she's a Democrat for crying out loud. <laughs> Paul, you, you're, you're, you come from the People's Republic of Queens. You're pretty much Democrat, contrary to your uncle. Uh, yeah. A little bit. A white man. Oh, good lord. All right, you two sit down. Get out of here. I'm <laughs> Anyways, you just got thrown out like the Trump did with the baby. Uh, <laughs> when I was 21, I was a Democrat. Uh, yeah, yeah, they'll they'll grow out no of kidding. it. They will, <laughs> they will grow out of it. Yes, Carl. I have a palpable story, and the story is that we're talking about ads by the medical, the uh, pharmaceutical companies. Part of it is that, and I won't mention the med- medication. Uh, part of it is that some of the um, 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 so what I want to use some of the um, um, yeah, so some of the some of the uh, uh, patents are, are running out and therefore expiring and therefore they're trying to get people to buy everything so they can get it off the shelves okay. quickly. Okay. Well, with that, we're gonna go on behalf of Congressman Al Swift, Bob Hines, Denise Kreft. Dan Littner, Carl Tubin, John Allen, and Admiral Ken. I am your moderator and host, Justin Russell. We will be back next week. Actually, Dan, Admiral Ken, you guys got the con next week. I will be out of town as Dan shakes his head. He hates moderating. <laughs> he so likes being on the table. Uh, but we will be back next week live from Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., Bob, the place to be. Absolutely. You can follow us on our Twitter feed at Backroom Politics. You can follow us on our website, backroompolitics.org. You can also follow us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash backroompolitics. You can email your comments to me, justin at backroompolitics.org. And you can also follow our reoccurring chats on Sidewire, sidewire.com. Download the app today, 630. I'm going to be interviewing in our chat with the shadow Senator from the District of Columbia. We're going to be talking about. Oh, oh, Dan goes. Ooh. We're going to talk about healing the Democratic Party and states' rights for DC. We'll see you next. Huh? Oh, oh, stop. Thanks. Thanks for taking away our thunder on Sidewire. John Allen. Peace out. Peace out. I'm dropping the mic. Have a great week, America. See you in two weeks. Bye bye. This is Backroom Politics. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.